The text for the message this morning is Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. We'll read that together. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you look to the verses before our text, you can see the context of what we just read. Verse 32, you notice that Jesus uh, led the way on the road going up to Jerusalem. And there we read, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. The Lord Jesus knew that when he got to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the scribes would hand him over to the Gentiles. You can read about that in verses 33 to 34, that they would mock him and they would spit on him. They would flog him and kill him. And his 12 disciples knew this too, but they didn't understand that the glory of the Son of Man would be in his service and not in his powerful authority. And you could see that discussion in chapter 10, verses 35 to 44. And there we have that beautiful passage in Mark 10, verse 45. The true king sent from God came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind, like we see in verses 46 to 52, so that they might follow him. But it would not be easy to follow Jesus Christ. The crowds following Jesus later showed that they did not actually know, they did not actually understand what kind of king they were following. The Gospels make it clear that the people were expecting a Messiah who could lead them as king. If you look at John 6, verse 15, they were, they were going to try to force him to be king already that early in his ministry. They wanted a king who would destroy the Romans and restore the kingdom of God among his people, uh, among the people of Israel immediately. You can even see that after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples asked about that in Acts 1, verse 6. And if this is what Jesus had come to do, he had the crowds in his hands as he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It looked like they would 
totally, loyally follow him to death in a battle against the Romans. But as soon as Jesus talked about their hearts and about sin and the cross, they turned against him. Jesus knew their hearts. They were a people who wanted victory without talking about sin. They wanted comfort without looking at their own hearts. They wanted a king of their own making and not the king that God had sent. Next week Sunday is, is Palm Sunday and as we prepare our hearts and minds for the commemoration of Christ's death on the cross, we pay attention to what kind of king we worship and what that means for our lives as Christians. And I preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ under the theme, the king who came to die entered Jerusalem on a colt. We'll see the prophecy that points to the colt, the praise that ignores the colt, and the promise that we see in the colt. Striking when you read our text that Mark uses almost as much space in our text to describe how Jesus acquired the colt and what it was like, verses 1 to 6, as he does describing the actual entry into Jerusalem. And with the Passover drawing near, it is likely that there were many other pilgrims around, and yet the Lord Jesus directs his disciples to the exact spot where they can find a colt on which no one has ever sat. And when those standing by the dependent young donkey and its mother, when they heard that the Lord had need of it and will send it back here immediately, they let them go. Why did the Lord Jesus temporarily need to borrow this specific colt at exactly this time in his ministry? What place does the colt have in God's revelation? Well, many years before, after the people had returned from exile in Babylon like a, a small trembling child in the midst of, of mighty armies all around them, then the Lord had spoken to them words of comfort through the prophet Zechariah. He condemned the surrounding nations who were persisting in their wickedness. You can read about that in chapter Zechariah 9, verses 1 to 7. And then he promised in verse 8 that we read together that he would encamp at his house as a guard so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes. And the Lord also revealed how he would guard and keep them. We read that too, verse 9. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The covenant God comforted his people to say that he had seen their suffering. He has remembered his covenant promises, and he will come to them as a righteous king who comes to save. Now if you look closely at Zechariah 9 verse 9, you will see that Zechariah's focus is on the righteousness of this promised king and not on his political might to save Israel from enemy forces. 
Zechariah's promise, his prophecy, is not political, but it is theological. It was not a, a promise of God versus the nations around, but a promise of God versus sin. The Messiah he was promising revealed God's desire to save his people from the punishment that their sins deserved, which is the attack of the nations. And the prophecy of Zechariah makes it very clear that Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was for much greater reasons than simply political self-rule. The Lord Jesus really has very little to say about the Roman oppression. Very little to say about the form of government, the best political party in Canada or in Alberta. His focus is on the spiritual well-being of everybody. Conservatives and liberals, socialists and capitalists, good rulers and poor rulers. And we see how the church must reflect Jesus' spiritual focus, his concern about the eternal well-being, the souls of those whom God has created. In Zechariah, we also read that this king will come humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Compared to the, the chariot from Ephraim that you read about in chapter 9, Zechariah 9 verse 10, and compared to the war horse from Jerusalem, a young donkey is a very lowly animal to ride. Jesus reveals himself as a king exactly according to prophecy. But let us not miss this point. As Jesus enters his final week of passion, he makes it clear that the peace he brings will come through the way of lowliness and shame. Jesus borrowed the colt to show that he was really a king to be despised by the powerful in the world. In today's terms, it would be like a king slowly pedaling his old childhood bicycle into the town instead of the normal entourage of, of blacked-out luxury vehicles. He did not fit the picture of a strong king. In fact, he could not because he had come to fulfill the prophecy to bear the shame of the curse, the mockery of the one on high. Jesus came to this earth to die under the wrath of God for our sins, even though no one around him wanted him to do it this way. In Zechariah 9, verse 8, there's that song, we rejoice greatly, we, we shout aloud, because God loved us so much that he sent the one he promised to be humbled, to be crushed for our iniquity, to bear the shame, and the indignity, and the guilt that we deserve. We rejoice greatly, because Jesus is the king according to the prophecy of Zechariah. He is the king on a colt, a king who came to die. Jesus knew this, and his disciples heard this. The crowds would have been shocked to see the colt. But whether political ambition convinced them to overlook it or to justify it as a, as a novelty of their own chosen leader, 
They erupted in honor and praise. The people ignored the colt. We read that after the disciples threw their cloaks over the colt, the crowds around put their cloaks and leafy branches they had cut from the fields and from the trees on the ground to honor Jesus as a great king by saving even his colt from the indignity of walking on the ground like common folk. John tells us that some of the crowds praising him had taken branches of palm trees from Jerusalem and went out to meet him. Thus the name Palm Sunday. And it appears to be exactly as Zechariah had promised. There could be no doubt that as the Lord Jesus was on the colt, he was announcing to the people that he was that promised Messiah. He was the righteous king who comes with salvation in his lowly state upon the colt. Who could not rejoice to see the words of this song becoming a reality? The Israelites following him and ahead of him began to sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of the father David. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna comes from the Hebrew words Hoshiana, which means save, please. It's also related to the name Jesus. There's a connection also to the name Jesus. And this expression is taken from Psalm 118, which was typically sung at the time of the Passover. It's the end of the Hallel. To praise God for his faithfulness in the past and to ask him to save them through the stone the builders had rejected. And so the crowds sang the psalm that cries for deliverance through the rejected stone, the rejected king. They were, they were singing, referring to the psalm that praises the son who came to die, singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But there is a problem in our text. And anyone who knows Psalm 118 in the Old Testament would have noticed it right away. Our Lord Jesus certainly did. For although the crowd sang the song that that psalm that cries for deliverance through the rejected king, they did not see Jesus as the lowly, suffering king of the prophecy. The crowd ignored the colt. They add to Psalm 118 saying, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. They move from Bartimaeus' cry to Jesus as the son of David, and replaced it with cries for the restoration of the political kingdom of David. They did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, whom the Lord had sent to take away the sins of the world. But they only saw him as a leader who could bring political freedom. They didn't want to think of the consequences of following a king on a colt. And as Jesus clearly reveals the gospel that he is willing to die for his people on the cross, the people turn away from him to themselves. They reject him as savior from sin. They honor Jesus for the wrong thing. They honor him for something that is completely against his calling, God's mission for him. 
They are like people today who claim Christianity for the comfortable life, for, for blessings on their crops, for victory. But they have no interest in thinking about confessing their sins, humbling themselves in weakness before the Lord, crying out for the Savior who could die on them, who died on the cross. And we see the Christian gospel is not a, it's not a power gospel of authority and, and the destruction of, of all the enemies, but it is a suffering gospel of taking up our cross, of denying ourselves and following Jesus through death to life. And so we see that in the very midst of, of shouting and, and cheering, the suffering of our Lord Jesus is even intensified by the ignorance of the people as they sing their songs. The lowliness of the ride on the colt and his choice of the way of suffering were ignored. And the Lord Jesus was very alone as he entered Jerusalem amidst the ignorant crowd who were, who were shouting and rejoicing for someone else. When the praise should have been heartfelt and thankful. It was nothing more than superficial. And all this makes us wonder as well how we sing the Psalms. How we sing and praise God in, as Christians. Do we understand what we are praying and confessing? Do we understand what we are committing ourselves to when we say that we will follow Jesus Christ the King? What do we do to make sure we are not just as guilty as the Jewish people, lining the sides of the roads and singing the psalms without understanding so that it turned into a mockery that saddened our Lord Jesus Christ? What do we do to avoid breaking the, the third commandment, using the name of our Lord Jesus in vain when we sing God's holy word? Let's not sing our songs to the wrong beat. If the Jews were guilty for misunderstanding the purpose of our Lord Jesus, how much more guilty are we who have seen the, the promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ? For there is a very clear promise that we see in the cult. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem marks the beginning of what is traditionally called Jesus' Passion Week. The, the word passion means his week of suffering, suffering week. The passage of Mark that we read ends with a noticeable anticlimax. That anticlimax highlights the suffering of our Lord. You, you just see all that sh sh shouting and, and cheering. And then in verse 11, we read, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Something that everyone would have expected if they had paid attention to the cult that our Lord Jesus used. The cult made it clear that our Lord Jesus did not want to lead a rebellion against the Romans. He didn't want to, to give ear to the devil's offer to, to give him all the kingdoms of the earth because this is not why he came. And today we celebrate the promise that we can see in the revelation of the cult. In the first place we must see that through this entry into Jerusalem, although this entry into Jerusalem didn't mark the moment of, of the Lord Jesus' coronation, 
It was accompanied with the promise of victory over sin on the cross, the promise already given in Zechariah. The crowd in their superficiality missed that Jesus' apparent lowliness on the day was not simply a step on the way to secular glory. Rather, the lowliness that they saw on that day as Jesus made his way through the, the despised Kidron Valley, they needed to reach a yet a, a further low, a lower point with deeper humiliation. The colt would be returned to its owner. And rather than riding on the colt, the Lord Jesus would have to walk the path to Golgotha alone with a cross upon his back. The cloaks on the road would be taken back by their owners, but the very garments on Jesus' back would be taken off and, and divided before his eyes by lots, his utter humiliation. The joy manifest in cries for peace would be replaced with bloodthirsty cries from the same crowd to crucify him. For the very people who praised the one they did not understand, the ones who acclaimed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth they were unwilling to submit to such a lowly, humble king. The unhappy Pharisees who we read about in Luke in this elated crowd are our allies for they both do injustice to the essence of Christ's official calling. And although the people misinterpret the lowliness of Jesus on the cult, we must see how it revealed his willingness to humble himself to the deepest shame and agony of crucifixion for the sake of blind, yes, undeserving sinners like us. A week later, the Lord Jesus would put to, be put to death for the sins of the very people who had praised him as a powerful king one day and then just as quickly rejected him completely. Jesus is a gracious Savior. Jesus came willingly on a colt to show his love for us. And as we look at this in the second place, we must remember that the rejoicing of the people was in accordance to the prophecy of Zechariah. The problem was not that the crowd praised Jesus, but they praised him for the wrong reasons. They praised him as if he was a political hero on a war horse who would bring victory by killing all the enemies and not as a promised Messiah who would bring victory through serving and humility. It's good to praise our King Jesus Christ. It's good to praise him who conquered the last enemy, which is death. And we continue to praise him with songs of Hosanna today because he loved us so much that he gave his life for us on the cross. We'll sing that in hymn 29. We still call the Friday of his death good. Even though the strength of his enemies looks very great and all around us, like it did in the days of Zechariah. And daily we ourselves have to contend with our sins. We remember the humble king who came to die. God has heard the prayer of Psalm 118. He has saved us. And then we see that colt standing before us 
as an example of what kind of king we have and what it means to follow him. There's a connection even between Jesus' washing of the feet of his disciples and Jesus' riding on the colt. It's a picture of what our lives must look like. And as we sing Psalm 118, verse 26, with meaning and with understanding, when we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then we know we are celebrating our Lord Jesus, who replaced the colt under him with the cross on his shoulders, who brought shame and humiliation to the very end as he bore the fullness of God's wrath against all our sins. And he calls you now to believe that his work is done. The journey on the colt is done. Follow him in humility. See the king who is right before your eyes. People didn't understand that their faith and religion was really not focused on their success and on their comfort and their kingdoms and their names and their reputations. They wanted the kind of power that the devil was offering to our Lord Jesus. But the greatest in the kingdom are those who give their lives for others in humble service and not for those who seek it for themselves, to lord it over others, to demand respect. Your greatest need in this life is, is the need for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Don't forget the cult. Don't forget the cost of salvation and deliverance. Remember Christ's righteousness, his blood, his death, so that when you see him coming on the clouds, you will recognize him as the king you have already desired to follow, the king who looks like a lamb who has been slain. In the challenges of this life, let us enter the spiritual battle as cult riders, dependent on Christ's finished work, trusting in the power of God to save us. We're no longer looking for a man on a colt or a man carrying a cross or not even a man walking out of a tomb. We know our Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven. In Matthew 23, verse 39, as the Lord Jesus left the temple in Jerusalem, after weeping over its destruction, he declared to the people of Israel, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Psalm 118 again. Let us prepare the way for his coming. No longer with cloaks and, and palm branches on a road, but in our hearts as we dedicate ourselves and our lives to him. But we're singing that song of Revelation 5 verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Come Lord Jesus we pray, amen.